The Old Testament book of Numbers is a story about a God who is holy and not tainted by sin, who cannot live with sin. It is a story about a people who are tainted by sin, who struggle to be pure, who cannot live with the holy. Numbers is a story about a God who, though holy, separate and superior from his creation, has decided to invite a people, a nation, to share his blessings and is faithfully working toward that goal. Numbers is a story about a people who are the most blessed people in all the world but keep taking it all for granted and forgetting who their God is. Our sermon series slide, as you can see on the screen, the title is Failure and Faithfulness in the Wilderness. And from what I've already said, you should be able to guess who's guilty of failure and who is marked by faithfulness. But why wilderness? Well, the book covers a 40-year period in which the people are basically nomads, camping or squatting on someone else's rubbish land. It's a land where the natural supplies of food and water are not plentiful. Maybe uh, some of you have actually travelled to Israel and can exactly imagine what I'm talking about. For me, I imagine when we travelled after in our long service leave at the end some years ago, we travelled down from the Northern Territory down into South Australia and we were surrounded all, all that way uh, before we took the left-hand turn to Broken Hill by this scrubby, patchy grass and tussocks that could feed flocks but they needed to be spread over quite an area. It wasn't verdant grassland, it was wilderness. Wilderness more accurately really captures this book than the title Numbers. You might have wondered where do we get this title? Well it's basically because of the first three chapters they do a whole lot of counting of soldiers and Levites. But that sort of misses the point of Numbers' whole 35 chapters. It doesn't really do them justice. The original Hebrew title for the book picked up the words of the opening chapter, the first words. Have a look with me uh, in Numbers chapter 1, verse 1. I've put it on the screen. The Lord spoke to Moses in the tent of meeting in the desert of Sinai on the first day of the second month of the second year after the Israelites came out of Egypt. Uh, You see there our NIV Bibles say the desert of Sinai. Other versions will say the wilderness of Sinai. In the wilderness or the desert is a much more appropriate title than numbers for That is the place where these events take place over 40 years that Israel spend wandering around, relating to God and not relating to God very well, between Mount Sinai and the plains of Moab. Today, as we join the tribes of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai, I want us to see two things. Firstly, that God is not into social isolation and we should love him for that. And secondly, that God provides the hand sanitizer, and we should praise him for that. So the first point, God is not into social isolation. A close friend was uh, really not coping well this week and he had this insight about himself. As an extrovert, I'm really struggling with social isolation. 
with not being able to be with people in church and groups. Well, in the Old Testament, we see that God isn't into social isolation either. The Bible reveals that God was always into having a relationship with the pinnacle of his creation, with humanity. And early on, that relationship is particularly focused on Abraham and his descendants, and in particular, the descendants of his grandson Jacob, who live as slaves in Egypt. Before God embarks on the breathtaking acts that result in their escape from slavery, God tells Moses this in chapter 6 of Exodus. Say to the Israelites, I'm the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I'll free you from being slaves to them and I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you'll know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Do you see uh, what God is saying there? He could have just treated them, I guess, like someone who uh, collects dolls and just looked at them and watched them. But no, I will be your God means God's planning on relating to the Israelites and them relating back to him. And that relating won't be like we've had to do in these times, you know, emails and letters and texts and cards. No, it's going to actually be by his actual presence. And I want you to hear about that as we uh, look at later on in Exodus, what God says when he's giving Moses the direction for setting up the special structure where he'll dwell called the tabernacle. Look at these words from Exodus 29. When you've got it built, paraphrasing, then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Notice God's intention there. He saved them from Egypt so that I might dwell among them. God is not into social isolation and the Israelites were meant to love and honour him for that, to relish in the privilege, especially given that if he dwelt with them, then he wasn't dwelling with other people groups. As I said a moment ago, the particular physical means through which God dwelt among them was in the structure called the tabernacle. And I'm going to bring up an artist's depiction of it right now. You see at the back all the, the tents depicting the tribes of Israel all camped around the tabernacle. The tabernacle's built at the centre of their camp. And you see it's got the, the big rectangle um, sort of fence. And then within it there's the, 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 the sort of building structure. And it's actually, as we'll see in a short time, divided into two parts. Nearly half of the book of Exodus's 40 chapters are about the detailed directions for the building of the tabernacle. And Numbers has about five chapters to do with some of the articles in the tabernacle and the workers there, the Levites. And then we reach the climax when God comes to town. So Numbers 9, from where Mia read, recalls it. Let me... Uh, Read it for you again, Numbers 9, 15. 
On the day the tabernacle, the tent of the covenant law, was set up, the cloud covered it. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. That's how it continued to be. The cloud covered it, and at night it looked like fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Whenever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. This, this cloud over the tabernacle is a signal to the Israelites that God is with them, that he is in fact dwelling among them. Now, of course, don't misunderstand this. No one ever thought that this meant that God was only in the Israelite camp. But they did recognise that it was special to have the Lord of heaven and earth specially favouring them by his presence, by his glory. It meant that their present and future was secure. They were blessed for the Lord was with them. And so when the the tent, the cloud rises and it's time to set out, it's following the Lord's leading and moving on to the next thing. There's one other indicator of the Lord's presence in the tabernacle and it uh, appears in a, a little detail right at the end of Numbers chapter 7. I was a bit surprised to see verse 89. That is a long chapter. But look what happened. It's we're related here. When Moses entered the tent of meeting the tabernacle, to speak with the Lord, he heard the voice speaking to him from between the two cherubim above the atonement cover on the ark of the covenant law. In this way, the Lord spoke to him. So Moses, you see there, uh, it's in the tabernacle where he goes to meet with the Lord, where the Lord speaks to him in the special way that the Lord spoke only to Moses. Again, can you see that when it came to the Israelites, God was not into social isolation. As Moses reasoned with the, with the Israelites in the book of Deuteronomy, which comes after the book of Numbers in the Bible, what other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? God is not into social isolation. And centuries later, these words were written about Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. You see, it wasn't only the Israelites that God was concerned with. When Jesus walked on earth, it was God the son, the word in the flesh, making his dwelling, or that other word again, tabernacle, among us. In other words, just like in the wilderness, the eternal God lived in his tent among us. God has chosen to dwell amongst people in an even more personal way than he did with the people in Numbers, in the tabernacle. He does it through the word become flesh as a human like the rest of us, but he's a human who'll go on to die for us so we can have the blessing of eternal relationship with God. God, can you see, is very much for us. God is not into social isolation. We should never think he doesn't care about his world. He is into close relationship with his world. And the importance of that close relationship to God is made all the more clear by what happens after Jesus' time tabernacling on our earth. You remember that he ascended to be with God 
and then in the Acts of the Apostles, we're told that he releases the Holy Spirit. And what is the Holy Spirit released to do? It's released to dwell or tabernacle inside every single believer. So when the Apostle Paul is urging the Corinthian Christians to not engage in sex with a prostitute, he tells them or reminds them, your temples or tabernacles of the Holy Spirit. It's not appropriate for someone who has God in them to go and, and do this act. So let me show you. 1 Corinthians 6 is what I'm referring to. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You are brought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you. God is not into social isolation from his people. He dwells in us to guide, to comfort, to convict, to strengthen, to gift and to grow. You've got to love and honour a God like that. But walk in or out of David Jones at the mall and a friendly staff member will offer you hand sanitizer. Unless you're sanitised is uh, the inference, you can't really or shouldn't really step over the threshold into the store. Similarly, the complication for a God who isn't into social isolation and chooses to dwell among people is that people are always fallen, tainted, made unclean by their sin. They need to be sanitised. And God is holy and cannot live with or tolerate sin. Sin should actually give God every reason to very strictly observe social isolation rules and stay away from people. Well, the great truth of Christianity, and my second point today, is that the God who is on about relationships with people is the God who provides the hand sanitizer to solve the problem of the difference between the holy God and people. But of course, it's more than a quick squirt and rubbing of the hands. The first aspect of the hand sanitizer provision of God is a little bit like the exemptions to the Australian social isolation rules. Some people can actually... Uh, ignore some of the rules and keep working in what they do so long as they observe strict and high standards of cleanliness. Well, similarly in the Old Testament, God had safety barriers to help people of different categories keep a safe distance between his holy self, who dwelt in the tabernacle, and the sinful Israelites. And he allowed some specially chosen and cleansed people closer access to himself. Now the barriers were both structural and procedural. Let me give you a little glimpse. So here's a diagram of the tabernacle itself and you see there's the big rectangle outside which uh, has the courtyard within it and then uh, that rectangle uh, within the big rectangle, two-thirds of it from going from the right-hand side you've got the holy place and on the left-hand side, you've got the Holy of Holies. And it's in that Holy of Holies area, which is about four and a half metres square, that little inner room, 
where God's glory particularly dwelt. It was there where Moses would have gone to talk to God, as we read from chapter 7 earlier. And it was there where the ark, as it says in the diagram, or the, it's the ark or the container for the covenant, the Ten Commandments, was kept. And with the exception of Moses, who always had special privileges to approach God, the only other person who could ever go in there was Aaron, the high priest, and after Aaron died, his son, who inherited the job. And Aaron could enter the room only once a year. And on that day, he, had to, he came there to make special sacrifices to atone for the sin of the people. They say in latter years, uh, when the temple was modelled in a similar way to this and built in a similar way to this, that they used to tie a rope to the high priest in case he had a heart attack when he was in there so they could drag him out because no one was allowed to go in there. The outer room there, the holy place, could only be entered by specially appointed priests, so Aaron and his sons, and anyone else would die if they did. And then the outer court of the tabernacle was where the daily sacrifices were made. See on the right-hand side, the bronze altar. And they, that part was only accessible to the priests and to the Levites. Now, we read about the Levites with Mia in our other reading today. They were the essential services who were not to be included in the census of those eligible for military service. So in chapter 1, when the count is done of who could um, be eligible for military service for when they go and take the land from the other nations that are dwelling there... 603,550 men are, are, are counted in the 12 tribes. But the Levites, Levites, I should say, are excluded from the count. God says they're not to be counted. I want to show you that uh, in chapter 1. From, oh, well, from chapter 1 at verse 47 of Numbers. The Lord said to Moses, You must not count the tribe of Levi or include them in the census of the other Israelites. Instead, appoint the Levites to be in charge of the tabernacle of the covenant law over all its furnishings and everything belonging to it. There to carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings. There to take care of it and encamp around it. Whenever the tabernacle is to move, the Levites are to take it down. And whenever the tabernacle is to be set up, the Levites shall do it. Anyone else who approaches it is to be put to death. The Israelites are to set up their tents by divisions each of them in their own camp under their standard. The Levites, however, are to set up their tents around the tabernacle of the covenant law so that my wrath will not fall on the Israelite community. The Levites are to be responsible for the care of the tabernacle of the covenant law. Notice there that the Levites have a special job. There's the fighters, the ones who become the soldiers, but the Levites are not to be put to work in the army because Caring for the tabernacle where God dwells, where God uh, has relationship with his people cl closely, is so, so important. Notice too that the Levites are to set up a physical barrier around where the tabernacle is set up so that the rest of the people who aren't specially cleansed for the job don't go too close to God, And so uh, when you read other chapters of Numbers, you've got the tabernacle right in the centre 
And on the east end of the tabernacle, the, the gate end, if you like, the entry end, you've got the priests and Moses. They, their families live there. And then on the, on the west and the north and the south ends, the three Levite clans set up their tents and their families live. And it's sort of like a, a barrier for people. And all the tribes, three on each side of the compass, set up around the Levites and the priests. As you'd expect, as I mentioned a moment ago, the Levite males have to submit to elaborate cleansing procedures. And we saw a little of those in our reading from Numbers 8. And it's all about uh, procedures for dealing with the Levite sin before they can approach the tabernacle to do their work, before they can go near God who doesn't respond well to sin. But it's also about the Levites being God's choice as the workers who are to assist Aaron and his two sons. It's about setting them apart for their work. And their work includes the annual and daily sacrifices that need to be made for maintaining the relationship with God by this sinful people. Uh, they're really important, those sacrifices, as chapter 8, verse 19 summarises. It's on the screen there. From among all the Israelites, I've given the Levites as gifts to Aaron and his sons to do the work at the tent of meeting on behalf of the Israelites and to make atonement for them. So no plague will strike the Israelites when they go near the sanctuary. And there's really, really precise procedures um, involving daily and annual sacrifices and special festivals. And you notice it's so that the people will not be struck down so that their sin will be atoned for. The Levites have, and with, their, with the priests that they work for, have a really, really important job, I hope you can see. Uh, an example of the sort of thing, uh, and in addition, that the procedures for cleansing and that, that affected all their life. There's also procedures about what they could eat and couldn't eat as God's people so that they would maintain their relationship with God. And so another example is people with a skin disease or who come in contact with a dead body. This is said of them. Send them away, male and female alike. Send them outside the camp so they'll not defile their camp where I dwell among them. And there were procedures for them being cleansed so that they could return to the camp. In this little overview of it, I'm sure it sounds quite onerous. It's onerous to read through all the specifications for the sacrifices, and I've spared you that tonight. So I reckon it must have been extremely onerous to be an Israelite, and it must have been really hard work to be a Levite or priest. I reckon with all the sacrifices, that outer court of the tabernacle would have looked more like a, a butcher's shop or, or maybe an abattoir, given the noise of the animals than the sterile, quiet space we picture when we hear the word tabernacle. But in all this detail, don't lose sight of the big picture. All the detailed structures and procedures are necessary for one reason, and that is that God has chosen to dwell with the people. God is not into social isolation from the people. And since these people are sinful, God in his grace and mercy has effectively provided the hand sanitizer, the way to be cleansed of sin so Israel can dwell with their holy God. That it is all so elaborate would have reminded 
the Israelites of just how holy God is, how serious sin and rebellion against him is, and it should have inspired their gratitude. Unfortunately, as we're going to see from next week on in the rest of our series, it didn't remind or inspire them enough. But what about us? We have as much, if not more, reason to praise God for providing the hand sanitizer we all need to be able to have him dwell with us now and to be eligible to dwell with him in eternity. The hand sanitizer is, of course, the word of God himself, Jesus Christ.